I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show. I'm so excited to have my next guest here. We have Erica Keswin, who is the author of The Retention Revolution. I've got it right here. So excited. Just came out a few weeks ago, ish, um, and ish. ish, right? And uh, it is such a great book. It's actually her third book, and all of them are quite excellent. It's rare that we actually have repeats on here, but Erica is uh, a special, special uh, one. And um, because her other books were just so fantastic, I had to have her back to share this. And plus, her book is just unbelievable. And it's so relevant for everything going on right now in the workplace, for sure. So she is a workplace strategist, best-selling author. And uh, The Retention Revolution really gets into how do companies, how do leaders stay competitive in this ever-changing world of work? And how can companies make work a much more enjoyable and productive experience? I think it's no secret that trust between many employees and employers is kind of challenged. That's sort of the the topic of the outer hour and definitely has been eroding over the last few years for sure. Erica came on our show, as I mentioned a few years ago, and hopefully we'll get to have her talk a little bit about why she decided to ultimately write this book, but also I want to dig into some of her specific frameworks that she has uh, that can help you not only as a leader, but maybe you're an employee and you're listening to this and you want to bring it back. Maybe you want to come or have Erica come in and uh, speak to your, your teams. That would be incredible too. So uh, without further ado, Erica, welcome. Thank you. Excited to see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what exactly, we'll start with this. What exactly is retention revolution? So over the last couple of years, as we know, since March of 2020, I would say that many, many things, if not all things or most things we know about work really were turned on its head. And being a workplace strategist and studying the workplace for the last 25 years, I wouldn't say these trends were new because I was starting to see them and I even wrote about them in my other books, but the pandemic accelerated them. So we, 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 you know, we had to react there. Really, we didn't have a choice. You know, all the knowledge workers overnight sent home kind of thing. So the retention revolution is the idea that the new, in many organizations, there are up to five generations of people working under one roof. And as the new generations come in, they look at work very differently. You know, gone, long gone are the days and people are going to stay at one company and slowly move up the ladder. Um, And so the retention revolution is about, we have to be really intentional about 
our first interactions with employees, how we connect with them around our mission, our vision, purpose. And while they're with us, we need to help them develop up, down, and sideways. Most recent Gallup study found with Gen Z, that, I mean, even more than compensation, they want to feel like they're developing. And then if and when they come to you and say, Kara, you know what? You know, I'm having a great experience, but I'm going to move on. The retention revolution is about taking a deep breath as a leader and trying to refrain from at least my instinct, which might be, you know, don't let the door hit you, hit you in the behind and identifying ways to stay connected so that work becomes more of a virtuous cycle. And the, the word connected really is the through line. Hmm. Um, connected early, feeling connected while they're there, and even staying connected after people leave. You know, it's fascinating. I I think about this a lot uh, it, in growing the companies that I've been a part of, not only as a manager, but as a CEO. But I remember working for uh, or working at CNN for Ted Turner. And Ted Turner had this philosophy at CNN that uh, never save, never try and save somebody who's leaving. Because his thinking was that if somebody actually comes and announces to you that they are leaving, then they've actually been thinking about it for a while. You don't just like say, okay, I'm out of here. Most people don't, right? Like you're at least a few days, usually longer, yeah. and they've got, you know, a job. All of a sudden they spring it on you, like, you know, I've decided to take this job. If you give them more money, you give them a title change, maybe they take that. But there's a lot of stats around, you know, six months, one year, they're gone, right? They're, they're yeah. not going to stay. And so his theory was that always ask people, and I guess this applies too, to, um, you know, allowing people to stay a couple of weeks. Like his theory was if you can't leave with the same excitement, that you had when you walked in the door, then, you know, that's a problem. Um, but mm -hmm. in addition to that, as it relates to actually trying to save somebody, uh, he definitely had a, left me with the, you know, let them fly, like appreciate the yeah, fact. Well, if, right. if you love them, let them go. And so there's a, there's one of the companies in the book that really ties this idea together, which is a company in Chicago called Jellyvision. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed them for Bring Your Human to Work. And they have a policy, a philosophy called the graceful leave policy that they talk about when you're going to leave during the onboarding. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they say, Kara, you know what? We're so excited you're here on your first day of work. And you know what? It was hard to find you and you have unique skills and we know you're going to crush it here. And if you do decide one day to leave, it is going to be very hard to replace you. So our philosophy here, given, given that good people are hard to come by, um, you know, what we want to do is if you come to us and if you tell us that you have another opportunity and give us notice, we will work with you. We will open up our Rolodex. We will help you. We will support you, but let's work on this, you know, together. And it almost just takes the, the sort of the elephant, you're addressing the elephant in the room sort of from day one. Um, the other thing I would add, this is not in the book, which I thought, I wish it was in the book, but as you know, having written a book, when you write a book at some point, you got to cut it mm -hmm. off. And I read this study out of, it was done around the, in the American Bar Association around lawyers. And what they found was that 
new lawyers, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed, fresh right out of law school, ready to crush it in their law firms. Only 30% of them even have a desire, a goal to become a partner. Mm -hmm. So that to me is so foreign. You know, I'm 55, Gen X, like I worked in consulting. Well, of course I want to be a managing director or a partner or my friends in banking. And now you have these leaders almost having to look themselves in the mirror and say, wow, they don't want to be me. And one, they sort of feel kind of crappy about it, but, and there's like an ego around it. But if you know that from a business leadership perspective to say, it's okay. And you know what, if this is a law firm and you decide, you know, we actually have a, one of the, one of the companies I spoke to has a group inside of the law firm, one of these big firms that we all know, where if you want to move on, it's almost like an internal ombudsman that could help you figure out what to do. And in certain companies, especially professional services, it's good business, right? They leave a law firm, they, that's your future client. So the new, I mean, our kids, um, you know, at least all three of mine, I'm not sure about all four years, but mine are all Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And they look at their careers as a portfolio that I think if five years from now, if we're back on this podcast, I don't know if I've written any more books by then, but you know, I was an executive recruiter. If somebody moved around like that, it was red flag, red flag. And I think the world is just changing. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. 
redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Yeah, well, I think they've also watched their parents, right? So uh, you and I are both Gen Xers and... uh and I have low end of millennial and the rest uh, Gen Z. And it, it's true. I mean, I think that their perspective of, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to do this, but I may change things like along the way. It's harder to change things if one of mine is pre-med. So it's, it, maybe it's a little tougher uh, to do that, but not impossible. And I think that there is this emphasis on change because they've seen so many of their parents, their uh, parents' friends, like sad about their choice and feeling like they had to stay there. So I think that's totally, yeah. totally true. So do you think retention is the main problem that employers are facing today? Or what would you, I mean, there's a lot of problems out there, right? Yeah, there's a lot. And I, I address a lot of them in the book. You know, my hope though, one of the things I think about is 
over the last three and a half years, the image that comes to my mind is a pendulum. Uh So we go from the great resignation to the great or not so great recession. We go from, you know, going to the office to going home to going back to the office. And we go from the employers feeling like they have the power to employees having the power sort of, you know, along the lines with the, with the contractions and expansions in the market. So what I believe is that a lot of the ideas in the book are somewhat evergreen, that my hope is that they are relevant, sort of irrespective of, of these pendulum swings. Because if we do things from a business perspective and from a human perspective, um, if we treat people well, if we, you know, make sure that our managers are equipped with, with leading in these very turbulent times, if we help people grow and develop on the job, if we, if we incorporate, this is a big one, I'm sure we'll get into it, but if we optimize for both the flex, the, the desire and AKA demand for flexibility, but also the, the, the need the business need and the human need for connection. Like all of these things that I address in the book are good for people and good for business. Mm -hmm. So why, while, and they end up being good for retention. But I think the difference is we're not doing them only because we, we have to retain everyone and this, you know, we're trying to golden handcuff everybody to the desk. Like that just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's always been, and I think always will be a war for your top talent. Like it doesn't matter if you're in the great resignation or the great recession, you want to retain your best people. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I think it will always be an issue, but a lot of these ideas we're doing them because they're the right things to do for our people and the younger people are demanding it. They are wearing it on their sleeves. They want their leaders to know them as people. There's a chapter in the book about being a human professional and being more human at work. Um, and so a lot of this, the byproduct will be retention, which I think is, is a, a lot of what people want, but it's, but it's a piece of the whole thing. Definitely. So I pulled the survey from Resume Builder. You may have heard about this before, but 74% of managers say that Gen Z is the most challenging generation to work with. And I found that really interesting on many levels. I think that, uh, you know, maybe the way that many organizations have been set up is this hierarchy, right? Where to your point before, it's like, um, you know, some people don't want to be partners, right? There's people yep. that just want to come yep. in. They want to get out at five o'clock and go running, go sailing, whatever. Uh, but I feel like there's definitely this emphasis, emphasis on generations. On the other hand, I think that there's a lot of different types of Gen Zers too, um, that, you know, you can't just clump them into, you're a Gen Z, you're a millennial. So how do you figure this out as a leader? Yeah. Like, what do I got in the pot? Right? <laughs> like, you're having real conversations with people. It's funny, right before we started recording, you and I have a mutual friend, Lindsay Pollock, who's written a lot about the generation. She wrote a book called The Remix. And we were both speaking at a conference this week in New Orleans. So we saw each other and, and she had a, a slide of the different generations. And it's funny, you're saying, well, the managers are saying this, you know, Gen Z is most difficult. She showed covers from Time Magazine right back when people, you know, in Time Magazine would come out in print. And when the millennial, like when we were in the millennial generation, there was a cover on Time Magazine, Time Magazine that said the me, me, me generation. So back then, the manager said that was the most difficult generation. So, you know, 
all of the generations have their challenges. All of them have great things that they bring to the workforce. I think the key to it, though, is to understand the, the, the stereotypes around these generations and what they bring. And there's a, there's a, one of my, I mean, I, there's all really cool stories in the book, but one of the ones that I love is, um, it's from an architecture firm in, happens to be in Colorado. And this, that one of the principals had been to a conference where she heard a presentation on understanding generational differences. And now as part of their onboarding, Everybody participates and hears this presentation. And one of my friends was doing a pre-read for me of, of the retention revolution. And she called me and she said, oh my gosh, you know, I love this example. I'm a Gen Xer. And now, you know, I understand like, this is why as someone who's Gen X, I like to pick apart the argument and everybody around me tells me I'm so critical, but it's actually a generational thing of how I approach problems. So if you're a young person coming into a company and your boss happens to be Gen X and you understand some of these, again, they're, they're, they're generalizations, but there's sometimes truth in these generalizations. Maybe you won't, maybe as a Gen Z, you know, you won't take it so personally. Or if your Gen Z employee is making you insane for whatever reason, and you understand where that person's coming from. And I think we are living longer, we are working longer. And so when you have five generations, you know, from the boomers to Gen Z working at the same company, I think this this is a challenge, but I see it more as a real upside, a real opportunity to get the best from all these generations. But the more that we can sort of sympathize and empathize and have an understanding, you know, that's the that's the first step. That's really the key. So definitely the the world of work obviously has gone haywire, right? On on many levels. You know, we've got different generations all trying to hang out together at, at work and do what they think is best, but then we have this whole Zoom, a hybrid. Uh, you know, I I know many people uh, who do not have to be on Zoom today are yeah. choosing. Please call me on the phone. I'm so I tired. Know. The phone. Here's my phone. Yeah, the phone is like the new best invention ever. Yeah, and it's and I mean it's it's crazy. Like and talk about the pendulum, you know, like it's just things like that that just could, next thing you know, we're gonna have fax machines. <laughs> That's right. Wait, wait, wait. We're gonna handwrite look if you get a letter in the mail today, it's amazing. But I do I remember during the pandemic, I mean, I would say to people, Can we just let's go for a walk? Like, let's go outside, I'm gonna get my steps in and we can talk on the phone. Yeah. And there's research that shows that if you're in nature, your retention is better. Yeah. No, absolutely. So but connection is still super key. And I think there are, you know, it's fascinating because I have employees that used to work for me um, that have come back. We've remained friendly and they come back and talk to me about sort of what they're going to do next. The number one thing that I feel they're, and these are all millennials, uh, the number one thing that I think they're really struggling with, I mean, call it mental health, but it's really connection. I mean, they feel like it sounded great that I was, you know, remote and I was living in Montana or I was, you know, my company was based in Florida and I was going to be getting up at 5 a.m., but I don't want to live virtually. Like, that's not what I wanted to do for work. I want to have connections. And and I think, like, connections are really tough. And and frankly, I think it's also, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but as we start to look at 
the new college graduates. I think it's it's you know a tough market also because many people like us that are hiring people to uh, come into their companies, they're like, okay, those people that have no experience are going to be kind of hard to manage hybridly, right? Like you know, and I don't really want to do that right now. I think where there's a will, there's a way. And the way that I approach this, there's a chapter in the book on flexibility. And I believe that we need to, to ACE flexibility. We need to think about flexibility through the lens of ACE stands for A, autonomy, or it could also stand for agency. Everybody wants to have a little bit of agency or autonomy over their work lives. Mm -hmm. Who wouldn't? But not every role can have the same amount. I think we can all agree with that. Number two, um, the C stands for connection. We have got a design for connection, cheesy as it sounds, left to our own devices. We're not connecting. And I have a lot of different, there's a lot of ways to do it, but we can't leave it to chance. We've got at this point, three and a half years post-March 2020, we as leaders, we must put a stake in the ground. Um, We can put the stake in the ground with a caveat saying, look, this is an experiment. It might change. But you know, clarity is kindness and the wishy-washiness is causing a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. And the E is through the lens of equity. It's not all going to be equal, but how can we think about this through the, through the lens of equity? And so for those listening, you know, you put, there's a probably people that listen to your podcast care from all different kinds of companies and industries and startups, this, that, and the other. Um, one of the things that kind of blew me away though, was that there are roles that pre-pandemic in a million years you never thought could be to ha- could have had any flexibility. So one, for example, you go into Neiman Marcus, right? You have a salesperson and you're like, well, that person has to be there. I mean, that's what I always would have thought. However, you know, in the pandemic, all the stores are closed and everybody was able to really rethink what we know about work. And what they realized was that, you know, if you're at a high-end store like a Neiman Marcus, There are hours in a week. It's not going to be four days, but there are some hours where the person needs to email or text their clients and make appointments. They put the new fashions on their Instagram. They, you know, if it's a really big client, maybe they're designing outfits for their next 20 speaking engagements. Who knows? Mm -hmm. So So what they found was that that person could work at home maybe four hours a week, whatever it is. That even that little bit can make a huge impact on your life, on your mental health, on this sense of agency and control over your life. Last week, I spoke at a conference. uh, It's funny, I've been in New Orleans twice in a week, but this one was for um, HR leaders at all of the universities in the country. Hmm. And one of the things they were saying was, if you're, I mean, there's so many different roles. I mean, some of these universities, I sat next to someone from Penn State, they have 17,000 people that work there. Like, it didn't even occur to me there were so many crazy, right? And she was like, look, the landscaper, like, why does the landscaper have to be there five days a week? The landscaper doesn't. He or she could work three really long days. And and maybe there's another landscaper who would rather work five shorter days. Maybe that person has kids. Maybe the other person doesn't. Maybe someone's taking care of elderly parents. So I think there's this opportunity. Then I'll, then I'll get to the point about designing for connection because we need to think about them together. But this, this, this desire and again, demand for flexibility is not going away. And I think there are, if we are willing to be creative and spend time thinking about it, we can make, 
we can make a difference. Oh my God, I'm looking in my <laughs> I <laughs> saw it New too. York City. I know. Only in New York City for those, you know, we'll we'll share some clips, but literally there's uh, behind me there's some guy in the window. That's hysterical. Um, Cleaning your windows. Luckily, I'm in um area. Oh my God, hello. Hysterical. Um, luckily, I'm not in the bathroom. So while at the same time we're looking at at autonomy, we have to design for connection. And I'd written an article, gosh, way back now called On-Sites Are the New Off-Sites. How do we design a day in the office that's worth the commute? So again, I live in New York City. Here's what we don't want, right? And you're outside of San Francisco. What we don't want is people commuting in, hour and a half, whatever it is, and they're grumpy now, and they get there, and a third of their team is there, and they're doing the exact same kind of work they could be doing from home. Mm-hmm. That's what I call the recipe for resentment. And so what we need to do, and again, someone has to decide they want to take this on because trust me, it will not happen on its own, is to say, all right, let's look at the nature of the work and we're going to come in on these days and we're going to create, I feel like this phrase is overused now, but I'm going to say it anyway, um, you know, and create these, these these moments that matter, these moments of connection. So if if I had a company and people were coming in, let's say on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, maybe everybody in the company is in on Tuesday, we have an all hands. We have an opportunity to learn. Like if learning is one of our values, maybe on Thursdays, that's the day where your team connects, you know, and maybe on Monday, that's when you do your one-on-ones. You know, whatever it is, when we, we have to realize, and I guess I knew this before, but I think other people are waking up to this, that the connection part of your job is part of the job. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because if we don't, I mean, that's why all these people are like, you know, you built relationship with them and you're in touch with them. And you, you know, if we don't have that, the minute somebody is out at a party and meets someone else and they say, Hey, Kara, we have a job for you at my company. Come work for us. You're like, great. Okay. And that's the impact on retention. Because if you don't have any connections at work with your colleagues, with your clients, with your boss, um, with the purpose of the company, you are much more likely to leave. Why not? You know, when the opportunity presents itself. Definitely. So professional development, I think, could fit into this very nicely, too. Um, how, How would you suggest people look at that. Like if they're looking at professional development, um, I guess it's why is it time to take professional development personally? I mean, when you're looking at the individuals, but I think to some extent, it might actually be a group setting like Tuesdays. We're going to, you know, maybe there's a session on Gen Z's where managers are feeling like I'm just not getting through and they don't necessarily want to go to HR and, and, you know, but they want to figure out what other ways are people um, getting through to, to people. I'm just making that up, but maybe you have another example. Well, I think, I mean, 2024, it's got to be a priority in everybody's list. And the reason is, again, not just this whole thing's about Gen Z, but the new Gallup study found that even more than compensation for many people they want to learn on the job. Mm-hmm. And if they are not feeling that they are learning and growing, they will leave. This chapter in the book is called From Ladders to Lily Pads. And it's called that because organizations are flattening and that's not a new trend. It's been accelerated, but you know, gone are the days of moving up in the ladder. So 
you know, it's called from lily pads because if we don't help people grow sort of not only up, but maybe down and maybe sideways, they're going to hop on over to another company, Mm -hmm. like hands down. And so if you're a leader and you're listening to this, you know, just if you're, if you're managing a team or managing a company, this is something that you can do. I mean, you can think about how people can grow and it could be, we find a project um, outside of somebody's area of interest. It could be, you know, Udemy has a ritual, a learning ritual called Deal. Drop everything and learn one Wednesday a month where it's a, it's an, I mean, it's Udemy, they're a learning company, but a lot of companies that I've spoken with now after they hear this story have kind of adopted it, which is we want to show that we value it. And these days with people working later into the night and technology and just how much people are working when they're during outside of, of business hours, um, you want to also show that you va- if you value learning and professional development, you got to do it during the day. Mm-hmm. You know, the days of let's take class or do it after work, like that, that's not going to fly any anymore either. So I, I also heard a really great example that I want to share that's not in the book um, that I that I heard about after it. But this is, I love this example. Um, there was a manager who shared that she sat down her, let's say eight people on her team. And she said, all right, guys, look, I cannot control, you know, the macroeconomic forces and, you know, big level decisions for like from the C-suite. But here's what I can do for you. Um, I can help you grow and develop. So she said, what I want you to do is go find a job description that, um, that if, of a job that you might want to have in three to five years. It could be here at this company or it could be anywhere. She's like, I don't care. Bring, bring that to me. And let's look at the skills you would need to successfully get that job. And then let's look at the skills you have now and let's look at the gaps. What I, she goes, what I can do and what I will commit to doing is to help you close those gaps. Hmm. And again, to me, yes, there's only so many hours in the day, but I would stay and I would work for that manager because it's like, all right, this is the company that I know. And, and what the, you're going to get that person for an extra six months, an extra year, and maybe an extra five years, because you know, you don't have to leave to get these growth opportunities. Yeah. And so, it, and so the other way I look at it is if leaders need to create an ecosystem of growth within their company or within their department, whatever it is, or they're going to find another, they're going to find another company where they can get it. And it, as we know, it costs a lot to replace someone. Yeah. Or they're going to create very bitter employees, right? Who are gonna, who are not gonna be as productive? All, all of right. those aspects. Well, you raise, well, you raise a really. I was gonna say you raise a really good point, which is, and as you know, you know, being a CEO of a company, you know, uh, there's, and I think a lot of people aren't talking about this this enough, which is any of these changes. You have to also address the change management piece because mm-hmm. let's say you hear this and you're like, all right, we're gonna do leadership development and we're gonna move people around. If your managers are all hoarding talent and and don't really want to let some of their, I used to, in the recruiting world, I used to call them, you know, the best athletes go, then you're right. You're going to create a culture where people feel stuck and they're bitter, and then they're probably going to leave anyway. And so it's it's doing the change management. It's aligning the the rewards and the, like, I have this, this dream that a company is going to say, look, we're going to, we're going to give our, you know, at our next all hands, we're going to give shout outs to managers who've moved the most people around the company, Hmm. you know, at the end of the year. I mean, we got to measure and evaluate and celebrate people for that to show them that it's important. Have you heard of this company Airspeed? 
I had him on. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, you should definitely check him out. It's um, yeah, I would love to. The, it's the to founder of actually Sales Navigator, which LinkedIn acquired. But he had this whole idea of um, creating this sort of using Slack, this internal connection, but it's actually queuing not only uh, employees, but managers um, to for different prompts. And, and also, you would have the option, too, of understanding where people live, too, where you were scheduling a meeting, for example, and somebody said, okay, uh, 9 a.m., and you know, and they think the whole world lives in New York. Well, guess what? Somebody on the in New York in San Francisco is pissed, but you didn't know. Like as a manager, right. all of a sudden you've got this employee who in the beginning is like, okay, well, that's what I have to do. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait, not everybody like they wake up to this fact. And you've got this really bitter employee that is, you know probably, you know, working from home is, um, you know, just sort of clock punching basically. But anyway, it's got different tools. Right. It's like leveraging. I mean, I love that example. I, I talk about how do we find the sweet spot between tech and connect? Let's leverage this technology for all of its greatness, but then also connect, put it in its place and connect in a deeper way. And so, yeah, it's, it's, also creating a culture of that psychological safety where that San Francisco person who's pissed feels like they can say something. Yeah, totally. Which a lot of people wouldn't. And then they quit and you're like, oh, that was an easy fix. Yeah. You two should definitely meet. He's, uh, he's, he's a great guy here. And, um, you know, had actually gone in internally at, uh, Salesforce during the, um, during the pandemic and he saw this problem. And so he built these apps and they're current. I think they're free now for, um, for companies that are under 50 employees. And then, um, yeah. So anyway, you should definitely, because it goes along with your book perfectly. Like it's, it's super, super terrific. So as we navigate the post pandemic world outside of, uh, kind of dealing with this, uh, hybrid issues that we were sort of forced to set up and we're, we have to figure out how to manage that now. What are the most significant shifts or opportunities that individuals and businesses um, should really be prepared for? Yeah. I mean, you know, when we say post-pandemic, it's, it's just, there's just constant change. Yeah. And I, Amy Cuddy coined this term during the pandemic called the pandemic flux syndrome, which is this constant swinging of the pendulum. And she was speaking at a conference I was at a couple of weeks ago, and now it's just the flux syndrome. We've got taken out the word pandemic, but I do think this feeling of being in flux, I don't know, I think it's here to stay and maybe it's just with the pace of change. I think post-pandemic, and I'm sure you've had, you've been talking about it, you know, with, with your guests and just in your world and in your life and friends and kids. But, th- you know, when I think about, AI. And when I think about the increasing role of technology and how that's going to change our lives, one of the things I think a lot about is the things that we've spoken about today become even that much more important. Mm -hmm. So making sure that people feel connected, making sure that our leaders and our managers and our Gen Zers coming in have some of these, have some of these human skills because they are going to be that much more critical. I heard um, 
there was a Jared Spataro runs like this future of work group at Microsoft. And I heard a video from him the other day, which I thought when he, he happens to run the AI, their co-pilot tools. So he's obviously speaking and writing a lot about AI, but it struck me um, in, in our conversation today, which is the impact that AI is going to have is that everybody is going to be a manager. And what he meant by that is, let's say there's certain roles that entry-level roles that the entry-level people used to have to do, coming up with three different examples of something or doing some analyses or whatever it is. So let's say AI can spit out you know, three right. options yeah. for whatever it is our entry-level people used to do. Now they're going to come in and the, the skill set that they need is like the level up from that. Mm-hmm. So the analysis, the um, editing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, or the skill of being in a group and, and, and being able to persuade and influence to get people to pick one of them Mm -hmm. before the same people were the ones designing them. So I don't know if that fully answers your question, but you know, this post pandemic, it's figuring out this whole optimization of flexibility and connection. I don't think that's ever going to go away. And I think we're just changing it. The need to be more human at work, and connect with people as full as real humans. Gen Z is demanding it, but I think the rest of the world got a taste of it during the pandemic and doesn't want to let go of it either. And then the third is incorporating this role of tech, increasingly large role of technology. So last question. So how do we measure success of uh, retention programs too? I mean, is it as simple as you retained these people and uh, therefore... I mean, that was that was the good old days, right? You bring in um, consultants who are, uh, will share, okay, well, you've had, you know, 80% retention and that's pretty good. You can get to 90 and, and uh, that's perfect. But yeah. what are the rules now? I mean, it seems like we're living in a world where there's many managers that are okay with cutting some roles out because you've got AI, because the economy is doing what it is, all of all of these, you know, issues. But how do you measure success? Like, when do you know that you're really good at retaining and, you know, during this time of, of havoc? So I think there's, and I, I would, if it were me, I'd be looking at a number of metrics. We're always going to look at good old fashioned retention, mm-hmm. but then we need to go beneath, you know, we got to open the hood of the car because some of it might be retention that is good for the organization. You know, there is some, sometimes there's not enough attrition or turnover. Um, and then the question becomes, are we retaining the people that we want to retain, you know, flip the other way is, are we losing some of our best athletes? Are we losing some of the people that like, what, what happened? Mm-hmm. Like why? After you look at the numbers, you, we need to get the stories and the why behind why we're losing them. I would also look at um, another metric, which it's called different things in different companies, but I was just speaking to somebody, you know, for them, they call it chur- churnover. And what was interesting to me was, the definition of it was when people leave, but they're staying within the same company. And he was frustrated. He was the head of talent. He was like, I don't understand. The managers are complaining about turnover because for them, they have to find somebody and retrain somebody. But from an organizational perspective, I said to him, like, this is like the gold standard because they're going to leave all together. But again, it's the individual managers, not 
you know, it, they, they might feel the pain in the short term and maybe it's changing these incentives that they also can benefit from the person saying. So I would look at turnover. I would look at churnover, but I don't like the name turnover because mm-hmm. it sounds negative, yeah. but I actually think it's positive. I would also look at employee engagement um, because I think when people are more engaged, they're going to be more productive. And those two things are linked. If you're engaged, you are much more likely to stay. So I think, you know, and I'm probably over time, I'm going to begin to think think of, of more ways. The, the other thing is I would really invest some time and, and energy into onboarding programs because mm-hmm. the data shows that, that the more robust and, you know, connected people feel during the onboarding and there's something called the 90 day rule. This cannot be a day. It can't be a week. It can't be a month. Like, and you need to then re onboard and re recruit and have these stay conversations. It really is an ongoing process that needs to take place. That is going to have a huge impact. So if you get really good scores, my guess would be, I'm just sort of processing this out loud. I love it. With your, your amazing question. But I bet that if you invest more in onboarding and the higher your ratings go on how connected you feel after onboarding, I bet there will be a positive correlation between that and your retention. You know what is fascinating? We started this actually during the pandemic when we were onboarding different people. And it partly came from some of the interns that we were hiring who really wanted to understand who was working in the company. I mean, gone are the days, I think, where employees who are coming in to many companies are, you know, they're coming in as a, in marketing, for example, and typically you would just know the marketing people, but we made everybody once a month, it was your role to reach out to somebody and have an hour one-on-one with them to understand, um, what they did every day, why they picked this job. So it goes to your learning that you're talking about. But when we went back and talked to people about that program, that was something that everybody really, really enjoyed, right? Like they just said, like they had no idea, like as a, um, you know, customer service person, like how they think about things and how things like if you're, um, if for example, uh, your supply chain is all messed up, how that will put a number of hours on the customer service because they're going to hear that the yeah. order's late, whatever. So to be able to connect all of these dots around the company, people felt like they really understood the company more. Well, and that's good for the company. Totally. Because the more like being in someone else's shoes, so not only do they feel like they're growing and developing and really learning? I mean, that is a win-win. Mm-hmm. And so because people do feel like they get so siloed and almost, you know, stuck. So you're giving them exposure, which is so good for your bottom line, because people then begin to think about their own issues in other ways. Totally. So that to me is a trainer. You know, the other thing is, and there's in the From Ladders to Lily Pads chapter, there's I always think, um, you know, I have three kids in college. I'm like, why do kids in college, why are they the only ones that get internships? And so there's a company that I profile that has these internal ships where you can actually say, you know, what, I want to test this out and they can end up moving into another area. Such a so, great idea. You know, it, it's like, yeah, not, it does take work. Somebody has to own it. 
But I think it's a really important area as we go forward. No, I think it's terrific. Well, Erica, excellent job on book number three, The Retention Revolution. (laughs) I suggest everyone pick up a copy. And uh, are you on Audible yet? Yes. Yes. And you get to hear me on Audible. That's terrific. You have a very nice voice. So that will be wonderful. And definitely it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a book honestly, that really makes you think, right? And it makes it makes you think about the future uh, as well as people who are in it right now. Like, how could we do things better with our organization? And I will say the other thing that I was thinking about as I was reading the book too, even if you're not the CEO or you're not a manager, I think that there's a... Having this idea of, you know, I was reading this book by Erica and it's really interesting and showing it to your manager, um, showing it to, you know, the head of HR or whatever, why you thought it was interesting. I think that that is, that just shows initiative. That makes you look like you're thinking, right? And it, it's, um, it, it's definitely the kind of book that I could see that happening. So uh, thank Great. you so much, Erica. Really appreciate it. And thanks everybody for listening. Okay, bye. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023. And goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, But achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.